0: Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace, believing that you are the Lord of the heavens and the earth, with whom nothing is impossible. We thank you for your only begotten Son, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. We thank you for his great sacrifice on the cross, because of whom we have become your children, we have become your church and we thank you for gathering us this morning so that you can speak to our hearts and build your church through the ministry of your word and i pray lord that you please to use your word like fire to burn our hearts like sword to penetrate our inmost being like hammer to break our hearts like light to enlighten and illumine our minds like clouds to shower floods of rain upon our soul that we would be good soil. We pray, Lord, that you please to have mercy on us. May we not harden our hearts, may we not be dull in our hearing, may we not be distracted in our thoughts, but pay careful attention, much careful attention to what we are hearing so that we would always focus on our beloved Savior Jesus Christ, and not let anything divert our hearts and devotion from you. We pray, Lord, that you please to uphold us and have mercy on us and revive us through the ministry of your word this morning. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. As we read Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 4 to 6, And as I told you that it is a controversial, tough passage which has sent tremors of confusion to a lot of theologians and also to believers wrestling with this passage. The reason why this is so controversial and tough to deal with is because of the assurance of salvation that the scripture gives and this seems, appears to contradict it. For example, I would like to remind you of the words of our beloved Savior in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, from verses 27 to 28. And this is what the Lord Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you hear these words? The Lord Jesus made an absolute bold declaration that my sheep will never perish. When the Lord Jesus said never, it means never. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of our beloved Savior will never pass away. And if this proves to be false we can even doubt the trustworthiness of the gospel. Because the gospel is also true. And they can also put in other words, it is impossible for my sheep to perish. And the book of Romans also confirms what the Lord Jesus said in chapter 8 verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified and those who may justified he also glorified observe all this is said in past perfect tense predestined called justified glorified god has already done this we are just experiencing this in time when god has decided in eternity not only that we also find in the gospel uh, not gospel in the letter to uh, the believers in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, which confirms that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And the Greek word is very strong when it says that you may know, that you may be certain, that you may be so strong and assured beyond doubt. Absolutely know. That you have eternal life. It doesn't say you will have eternal life. Presently, you have eternal life. Eternal life for believers doesn't begin after they die, it begins a time when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they lose this eternal life, it cannot be eternal, it could be only temporal. But Lord Jesus did not offer. Temporal life in this world and then eternal life after you die. Eternal life begins right when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So taking this word seriously, now we come to Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 to 6. Which really causes some concerns to think about what shall we believe? Shall we believe this? Or what the author of Hebrews is saying here in Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. For it is impossible... To content. It says here, for it is impossible to restore these people back to repentance. They are in irreversible, irreversible condition if they fall away. Now, this seems to be saying that believers can lose their salvation. Seems. I'm not telling it says. It seems to be saying. This is so tough that one of the few passages... In the Bible that theologians have written numerous articles on that. In fact, I have a book before me. If you look at this, this is about uh, 400 pages. Okay, 400 pages. Four views on the warning passages in Hebrews. Okay, four views on the warning passages of just Hebrews. 400 pages. I think, uh, I don't know whether the New Testament altogether would be So many pages if you print this. You can just understand how difficult it is to deal with this passage. And uh, I have done my best to do my study and come to some conclusions. Hopefully you will be convinced. I'm convinced of this. And uh, even if you're not convinced, that is up to you. But uh, I'll do my best to clarify this passage in line with what the other passages speak about. And I encourage you not to be dull in hearing because I'm giving you some heavy loaded apologetics, defense for what I believe to be true. Now, before I begin my apologetics, I want to let you know about the two beliefs that I don't subscribe to. One is that salvation can be lost view. I don't subscribe to this view, although I once clung to this perspective. Later, I was convinced by the scripture that this is untrue where they believe that salvation can be lost if true believers fall away from Christ. I don't subscribe to this, and I don't believe this is what this passage is speaking about, although it appears to say so. And I also don't believe in easy believism view, where this view says that true believers will never lose salvation even if they fall away from faith. They can deny the faith, They may turn away from their faith in the Lord Jesus. They only lose rewards, but they cannot lose their salvation. Even I don't believe that this is true. This is easy believism. And um, my view is more clinging and more um, close to the reform view. And this is what I would like to present before you. And I believe this is a wonderful, steadfast uh, perspective that we can cling into. And before that, I want to again remind you of the state of the readers here. You need to understand, this was not returned directly to us. It was returned to the believers in the first century, particularly to Jews. And these people were stuck in the basics of the Christian faith. And I mentioned to you, Last week, how? They were stuck in the basics of the Christian faith and they were not progressing towards maturity. They were dull in their hearing. They couldn't digest the doctrine of Christ and they were just swimming on the shallow levels of Christian faith. And because of that, they were shaken in the trials that they were facing because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were tempted to go back to Judaism and because of which, this letter is heavy loaded with Christological factors, truths, to convince people how supreme Christ is. He is our all-sufficient Lord. Don't drift away from Him. You know, this is a great encouragement for us to know that when we go through temptations and trials, what we need mostly is exposure to the majesty, supremacy, and magnificence of our Lord Jesus Christ. That alone sustains us than finding some shortcuts to come out of it. And what is very interesting as we go ahead is the word, for it is impossible. A lot of people, why they get confused is because they disconnect what is said before and what is said later. What is said before is very Important for us to consider because he says here, For it is impossible. Now what did he say before? I want to remind you again of what he said in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. We see here that he's concerned about the basic principles of the oracles of God in which these believers were stuck. And we also see similarly in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 to 2 before he begins cautioning about the apostasy. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So what we see here before, don't remain in the basics, in the elementary things. Move on towards maturity. And I made a very strong case last week when I preached move on to maturity that the problem here was They were only focusing on conversion and eternity and not towards maturity in the interim. In the meantime that you live in this world. And we see that's the state of many people in the church today. All that they are happy is about the conversion. All that they look forward is towards eternity. But they don't make every effort to grow towards spiritual maturity in this world. And uh, he also gives a caution. What happens if you don't grow towards maturity? If you remain stuck in the elementary teachings. And this is a continuation of the basic principles and elementary experiences of a Christian faith. And then he says here that, For it is impossible. Now, you need to understand when he says impossible, he gives four factors before he concludes what that impossibility is. So let me... Conclude what that impossibility is before we see in these four factors. For it is impossible, which means to restore those people back again to repentance. Impossible. There is no possibility. In the same passage or in the same chapter, we see the word impossible used twice. It says it is impossible for God to lie. When the Bible says it is impossible, there is no way. When the Bible says it is impossible for these people to be restored back to repentance, there is no way. In case of those, so he's talking about particular people who had certain experiences and these people who have gone through these experiences cannot be restored to repentance. And who are those people? He gives an explanation here. In the case of those, Who have once been enlightened. Now what does it mean enlightened? Now some people say that these are the people who heard the gospel. Understood the gospel. They were enlightened by the truths of the gospel. But I believe that this is speaking about just enlightenment. And the rest of the explanation is about how they have been enlightened. That's my study and conclusion based on what I have Read and studied. And I differ from what other people say about what enlightenment is. And then he explains, once been enlightened. How they have been enlightened? Who have tasted, which can also be said, experienced. Some people say that tasted doesn't mean that experience. It is like smell. Or it is a basic thing that you have done. No, that's not what it says. Christ also tasted death, which means he experienced. So they have experienced The heavenly gift, and I have shared, which could also be said, experienced in the Holy Spirit. So I club this together. I believe that both of this is speaking about similar things in different ways. Heavenly gift is the Spirit of God that has come, and also the sharing in the Holy Spirit. Which speaks about that these people have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in some way. We don't know how deep it is. We don't know how detailed it is. But in some way that these people have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit. Observe the author did not use words such as we have seen in other passages of the Bible where words are used like filled with the Holy Spirit. Where words are used like baptized by the Holy Spirit. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Indwelled by the Holy Spirit. These are not the words the author is using here. He speaks about tasting, sharing in the Holy Spirit, which speaks about they have partook in the work of the Holy Spirit. They have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And then he goes on saying, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God. So, They have not only experienced the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the work of the Holy Spirit is primarily, essentially done through the proclaimed Word of God. So these people have experienced the power of the Word of God. They have heard the Word of God. They were very much active in the church. They have experienced and seen how Word of God was greatly exposed. As we have seen Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, right? The word of God is living and active and sharper than double edged sword, discerning, penetrating through the innermost part of our souls. These people have experienced and appreciated the truths of the word of God. And also it says ahead then the powers of the ages to come. What is the powers of the ages to come? I believe that the author is speaking about the miracles. The powers of the ages to come. The powerful miracles that they have experienced as a result of it. The same book also confirms that in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 3 to 4. Hebrews 2, 3 to 4. It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed According to his will. The first century people experienced not only the proclamation of the gospel. But they have also experienced the powerful miracles confirming the veracity. The truthfulness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were into full-blown experience of the initial proclamation of the gospel. And then he says here, after... Sharing, partaking, experiencing these enlightenment, the heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit, the powers of the ages to come, the goodness of the word of God. After going through all this experience and then, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance is Impossible. Impossible. Now, when it says here that to restore them again to repentance, shows that they might have experienced repentance in some way in the past. Or else he wouldn't have said again to repentance. In fact, 6 1 Now you need to see that 6 1 is connected to the here. Because it says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Go beyond it. Progress towards maturity. Because. People may experience some kind of repentance. And when they fall away, it is impossible for them to be restored back to repentance. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is that after having sufficient exposure to God's blessings, if they have fallen away, it is impossible to bring them again to repentance. Now I want to give you a caveat, caution here, that this doesn't speak about fall. For true believers can fall now and then. It doesn't speak about that people don't fall at all. We fall. I fell many times and I keep falling. And it is temporal. But what the author of Hebrews is saying here is not about a temporal fall. He is speaking about falling away. Permanently rejecting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are those people doing? In verse 5 it says. In verse 6 it says that. Since they are crucifying. Once again. The son of God. To their own harm. And holding him up to content. He says that. When they fall away. They are doing. two things. One thing. What is that? They are crucifying again the son of God. And in doing so, they are doing two things. One is, they are bringing content to the gospel. And also, they are doing great damage to their own souls. So, what we understand from here is that, you either believe in Christ and honor the crucified Savior who died on the cross for our sins. Or, you crucify Him again by your unbelief who died for your sins on the cross and dishonor his crucifixion on the cross for your sins and in this way these people are crucifying the lord again and i want to take a pause here if there is any person who is over here constantly hearing the gospel That Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And by repenting and believing in him, we receive the free gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and become heir of the kingdom of God. If you are denying him constantly, I am telling you that you are dishonoring the gospel to your own harm. And you are bringing contempt to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to do no more. And repent and trust in the Lord today. Honor the gospel for your own good. For the good of your own soul. And glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also encourage the believers here that if you have believed, don't think that it is over. To keep believing is a continuous fight. Are you understanding? To keep believing in the gospel is a continuous fight. It's not that I once believed... Therefore, I don't need to bother about it. Now, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion whom he may devour. And what is he roaring at to devour? Your saving faiths. He's is not interested in your pockets, on your beauty, or anything that you have. He knows that the eternal treasure that you have is your faith in the gospel. And he seeks day and night To devour it. And the Bible says to guard it. Now what is the point that the author of Hebrews is saying. After mentioning to move towards maturity. And why is he giving this caution? Now hear this carefully. I believe this is the reason why the author of Hebrews is giving this caution. It is possible to believe in the gospel. And experience its initial blessings for a while. Which is on a superficial and shallow level and then following without experiencing thorough conversion in a shallow spiritual level it seems almost this person is saved and following the Lord it's very difficult you know it's easier to say people that yeah they don't believe the gospel because of their initial immediate rejection But sometimes I see salvation is a very mystical experience because there are many people in the church who appear to be saved. But in the long run, they show that they have not been saved. The Lord Jesus confirms this. It is not just the author of Hebrews saying, the Lord Jesus confirms in the parable of the soil in Luke chapter 8 verse 13. He says that, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, Receive it with joy. Do you see that? They have experienced the goodness of the word of God. They have shared in the work of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? But these have no root. They haven't gone deeper. They were just on the shallow level of Christian faiths. And what happened as a result? They believe for a while. And in time of testing, they fall away. You see the word? They fall Away. You know Peter also gives a dangerous caution. In line with what the author of Hebrews is giving here. He says here in 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 20 to 22. Hear this. How similar it is with what the author says here. 2 Peter 2 20 to 22. He says that for if. After they. Now these have become now false teachers. If you read the whole context. I didn't have time to put the whole passage but if you look into the immediate context, he speaks about false prophets. And these false prophets were, appeared to be once believers. You see the way that is said over here. For if after they, these false prophets, have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. You see, it says they have escaped once the defilements of the world and now they have been entangled in it again. The last state was worse than the first state. And you see how it goes again. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness. They have unnecessarily came to believe in the gospel for a while and they have gone away entangling themselves in the worldly defilements and their state has become worse than the first. And I've seen some people in my more than 25 years of Christian life, I've seen some people how they became worse after they professed their faith. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the soul, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Do you see that here? It says that there are possibilities where people can come to, I say this, initial gospel experiences. Maybe you can say, Half conversion or shallow conversion or superficial conversion. But I don't believe this speaks about thorough conversion. Because it goes in contrast to what the beloved Savior said. And what the Apostle Paul said. And what John said. It goes against everything. And we need to understand that this is speaking in light of superficial conversions. And the other passages of the Bible testifies. Not only that... I would like to give you a brief illustration of the Great Awakening. You know, in the history of the church, some great revivals happened. They were worldwide revivals, I mean. And it is called the Great Awakening. During, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards and also George Whitfield time in the 18th century. This was in 1730s and 40s. The revival was great. So great that when Jonathan Edwards preached the... Worldwide famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. People were so filled with dread and fear of the Almighty God that they thought that the earthquake would come and they would go into hell and they literally clung to pillars that God would have mercy on them and save them. Many people have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There were spiritual ecstasies, this emotionalism rampant, so much so that Jonathan Edwards received criticism from his critics that these people have become emotionally enthusiastic and this is the spiritual ecstasy that is there in them and they were bringing a lot of criticism on them. In order to prove to them what is the true sign and the bad sign, he wrote a book, Religious Affections, in order to defend The true revival of the Lord. And in that religious affections, he speaks about two things. Twelve signs of the false conversion and twelve signs of the true conversion. Twelve signs. And I would like to tell you, the uh, I don't have time to go through all the signs, but I have picked up solid five signs which are false. Which almost seem to be genuine. You see what he says here. Sign number one. These people, when they are superficially converted, because you have seen them, literally, how people can become emotionally enthusiastic, where we can come to a conclusion that these people are saved. But you have seen that, no, these people are not genuinely, completely saved, although it appears that these people have been saved. Sign number one, the religious affections, which means spiritual enthusiasm. Please understand this. This is an old word, religion, religious affection means spiritual enthusiasm. So the spiritual enthusiasm are very great and raised very high. In people who are shallow, superficial, converted people, there will be a great high. It like, it's like tsunami. You know how the tsunami raises to, I don't know how many feet it rises, but so much of height it rises, it washes away and then it cools down. That's how their spiritual enthusiasm will be. Sign number 2 They have great effects on the body They were even experiencing some kind of Effects on the body Some tremors on the body They can say I'm experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit I have seen some goosebumps uh, standing Even these people have done that In that 18th century So this is not very new that we see In the charismatic circles today It was happened even at the time Which could be genuine And also which could be fake And he says here that They can also experience the great effects in the body Sign five, they come with texts of scripture remarkably brought to the mind. They would see the word and say God is speaking to me and they may be enlightened by that and they can tell others when open the scriptures and say this is how God ministered to me. Even that could happen. Sign number nine, they dispose persons to spend much time in religion and to be zealously engaged in the external duties of worship. They may be very active in spiritual Disciplines, maybe prayer or studying the word and very active in the church. Give themselves to serve the church or be active in the external religious activities. And then he says in sign 11. They make persons that have them, the people around them exceedingly confident that what they experience is divine and that they are in a good state. Even other people think that, man, what kind of radical conversion is that? These people have really believed in the Lord Jesus. They have become true believers. They take baptism. They give testimonies. They are so filled with joy. They're enthusiastic to serve the Lord. But as the days go by, it seems that there is some problem with their conversion. This is very mysterious, I say that. And it could happen to some of the people who are here who claim to believe and baptize, excited, share testimony. But if you don't go beyond it, there is a danger. People struggle with this. I say that this is very little. What Hebrews chapter 6 from verses 6 to 8 speaks about is little compared to what the Lord Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. If this is what shakes you, what will we say? What shall we say about what the beloved Savior said in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7 to 21 to 23? These have even exceeded this Hebrew people. (laughs) Now when I say Hebrew people, not these readers but the people about whom that the author is speaking about Matthew 7 21 to 23 I say that these people have exceeded the state of Hebrews six forty six. to 6 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day on the day of judgment many will come to me Lord Lord now hear these words what do you think about this did we not prophesy in your name It's not in devil's name. It's not in any other name. These people have been in the church in Christianity. And they prophesied in your name. Not only that, cast out demons in your name. Wow. Have you ever casted out a demon? These people have prophesied, casted out demons in your name. Not only so, they go further. And do many mighty works in your name. I have no evidence, but I believe most of the people who say this will be from this generation. From this 21st generation. Because nowhere we see these kinds of things happening in the past, except in the 1st century. But now, wow, so many people claim about prophecy, casting out demons, doing mighty miracles. And what then the Lord will say to them? Oh my goodness, you have done all these things. Good and faithful servant, enter into your master's joy. This is what the beloved Savior said. Not at all. What did he say? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. He didn't say that, I know once upon a time I knew you, but later I have uh, come to not know you anymore because of what you have done. He didn't say that, never, never, never. In other words, when the Lord Jesus said, Never knew you, it doesn't mean that he has no omniscience. What he meant is that you never belonged to me. You never belong to me. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, what does it speak? Without belonging to Jesus, people can prophesy, people can cast out demons, people can even do miracles. When we are living in a deceptive age thinking that anyone who can prophesy, anyone who can cast out demons, anyone who performs miracles is a man of God. Is it? Could be and could not be. The Lord Jesus said that they may not be. Now this is even grand experience than the experience that we see in Hebrews chapter 6. So what is the point that the author is making in this passage? It is this. Now if you think that basic principles are everything. Now I take this within the immediate context. If you think that basic principles are everything. If you think that the elementary teachings are everything. Is giving a caution that it is not the basic principles and elementary experiences of the Christian faith that prove a person a good soil. That is what he is telling A person may have such experiences and fall back into an irreversible condition. Don't get stuck in elementary teachings. Move towards maturity. It is perseverance in faith and growth towards spiritual maturity that a person evidences to be a good soil that is a truly saved person. Now that's a very caution to me brothers and sisters. And if you are a new believer, or an old time believer, or an experienced believer, this is a caution to you. That if you are not making efforts to grow towards maturity, and if you fall back from where you are, which is highly possible, that is what the author of Hebrews is saying, saying that don't think that elementary teachings and all. If you think that, those people that he's speaking about in 4 and 5 and 6, these people have had all so-called elementary experiences, and they have gone back and never come to... Repentance. So in other words he's telling, it is dangerous to remain where you are. It is dangerous to dwell in immaturity. All those people who profess newly here, I'm cautioning you. And I've seen literally in my eyes, people who profess they don't grow, live a cool life. Chill man, chill. And there will be chillies later. Gone. Swept away. Never come back. Be careful. And that is what he says. You need to understand that fruitfulness is in the mind of the author. Immediately after mentioning this, he gives an illustration. You see the illustration that he gives in Hebrews 6, 7. For the land that has drunk uh, the, the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful. See, crop useful. To those for those whose sake it is cultivated, which is Fruitfulness. Receives a blessing from God. So he's speaking about press on to maturity. These people who are mature, fruitful, bearing fruit in their lives, and uh, these people are blessed by the Lord. It doesn't say in the illustration the land that once produced fruit and later produced thorns and briars. That's not what it says. The good soil produces good fruit. He only speaks about the good fruit. And then a contrast to those people in Hebrews chapter. Uh, six four to eight that we have seen but if it bears thorns and thistles that we have seen these people have done which is no fruitfulness it is worthless and near to be cursed and its end is to be burned so it gives an illustration also be mature be fruitful bring glory to god Don't be a barren land. Grow, 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 mature, be fruitful. For that shows you are a good soil. Or else, if you are bearing thorns and thistles, that shows that that's a cursed ground, that's not a good soil, and uh, it will be burned up. That is a sign of not pressing on to maturity. Similarly, the Lord Jesus said, this is one of the things that I like in the Bible, is the unity of the scripture in other parts of the Bible also. You see it says in Luke 8 14-15 the Lord Jesus said similarly the same thing. And as for that seed that fell among the thorns, there are those who here experience the initial powerful conversion all those things that seemingly seem to be saved people as we have seen in Hebrews chapter 6 but as they go on their way, which way? after they have experienced all the initial experiences of the gospel, as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, there are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Exactly this is what the, Lord, what the Lord Jesus said. The author of Hebrews is a coin. You grow towards maturity and you will never fall. You read even, I don't have time to point out even what 2 Peter chapter 1 says that. Confirm your calling and election. For if you are increasing in the qualities and maturing, you will never fall. So he says that grow towards spiritual maturity, you will never fall. For if you are where you are now... Those who fall back from initial gospel experiences, they will never again return. And that's a very dangerous question. So based on what author of Hebrews says in chapter 6 and also the parable of Sower, we see that there are four kinds of people. One, those who deny the gospel. I think they are better. At least we know that they are not saved. They are better, saying, I don't want to hear the gospel. I don't want to believe in the gospel. I don't believe Jesus died for my sins. I don't want to be saved. And second people are those who fall away from the gospel, which is they believe in the gospel for a while, and uh, when time of testing comes, they fall away. We see that they fall away. And even the author of Hebrews is saying similarly, initial gospel experiences in the time of testing, they fall away, they believe only for a while. That is pathetic. And we have seen many people in the churches today And then there are those who are barren in the gospel. (laughs) And I'm telling you, the churches are filled with this. Barren people. They don't mature. Barren. Just they do all their external activities. No hunger, no passion, no growth, no maturity, no fruitfulness, no productivity. And finally we see fruitful in the gospel. They are the good soil, the whole fast. And they are fruitful in the gospel. The illustration confirms this. The question to you, my dear brothers and sisters, is this. Where do you fall in this category? Where do you fall? It is good for you to examine yourself and ask this question. Where do you fall? Now let me quickly go ahead and give you five applications from here on more clarity on what this Hebrews 6 is speaking about. Now, hear this carefully. The first is this the point here is not about losing salvation, but about immediate irre- irre- irremediable apostasy, which is falling away from initial gospel experiences. It doesn't speak about sal- losing salvation. over no it says that they lose salvation, it says that about irremediable apostasy which is falling away from initial gospel experiences let me buttress it with more points the passage doesn't describe the state between salvation and sanctification this passage doesn't describe the state between salvation and sanctification it describes the state between the reception of the gospel and salvation When people receive the gospel, believe in the gospel, the experiences that they have between them and salvation, which is greatly mysterious. This describes the experience of the power of the gospel. You need to understand that a person who is not converted, still he can experience the power of the gospel. They can experience so many things and not experiencing the transformation of life. Now this is what it is speaking And secondly, which is very interesting. Now here is a very strong point for us to consider. You know what is the dilemma here? Why we are facing the dilemma? The dilemma here is that the author does not clearly state that Hebrews 6 and 4 to 6 is the state of the unsaved. We need to honestly confess. The confusion comes because there is no clear statement I'm speaking about unsaved. But... The immediate words that he says. Is very interesting for us to consider. But he also states that. The dreadful condition that he just spoke about in Hebrews 6, 4 to 8. Doesn't apply to the state of his readers. Are you understanding? He doesn't say that I'm speaking about you. You hear the words what he says. The words that he says here. Though we speak in this way. About what way? About 6, four, two, 6 about those people and he spoke in the third person. Please understand the grammar. For those people, in the case of those, he spoke in the third person. But in your case, you see what it says in verse 9. It, in your case, now coming to you in second person, you readers, he says here that, beloved. You see the words that he uses, very endearing term. He cautions with great endearment. And he says, Beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now what does it say here? He's saying that I'm not speaking about you. I'm not saying you are in this situation. I'm just cautioning you about those people and taking them as an example. I'm cautioning you to be careful, but I am sure and confident this is not your state. Which is a great observation. Not only that. We see in the latter chapter also. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 37 to 39. He seems to give a similar likewise caution. For yet a little while. And the coming one will come. And will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. One of the few times. The just shall live by faith is mentioned in the Bible. Is also found in 1037. And if he shrinks back. If the righteous one shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now you see what he says in verse 39. But, but we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those people who fall away. We are not of those people who are superficially converted. We are not of those people who reject the gospel. And are destroyed. We don't belong to that category. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Are you understanding this? He sees that very clearly that. Although there is a confusion because he doesn't state clearly. But he also sure that I am not speaking that you will be like this. This is, some people read this and say, oh my goodness, I've seen some people constantly living in fear that salvation can be lost. When the author of Hebrews himself is not trying to create some trauma in them and live in doubt of the salvation. In fact, he is assuring them that you are saved, you are the one who will perceive it till the end, but you keep going. Don't be like them. Don't be like those people. Now, Another interesting thing, third thing, in this verse, chapter 6, verse 9. He says that, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we will feel sure of better things. Now, what is the better things? Immediately, he clarifies. The better things are things that belong to salvation. Now, if he says that, I am sure of you people, that I am sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, what does it mean? What he just said about in chapter 6 from 4 to 6 Doesn't belong to salvation, right? <clears throat> How else do you understand then? I'm sure of bitter things for you Things that belong to salvation These things do not belong to salvation Beautiful So what does it say here? What is it saying here is that Elementary teachings are good Basic principles are good but you must strive to go beyond these elements to understand the evidence of salvation and grow towards maturity don't get stuck there because there may be some people who are superficially converted and appear to be saved because they only live in that elementary stage of their christian life and when they fall away they cannot be restored so don't brag about your conversion don't brag about your conversion about the experiences of your conversion. Grow, move towards maturity. Now in the very book itself, what is in the author's mind a truly served person we need to understand? What is in the author's mind? See, we are, we are wrestling a lot with this passage. I don't know how many of you are coming along with me. If you are dull hearing, gone case. I'm telling you that. You will be able to wrestle with it for lifelong. I'm simplifying it. You know, there are I read a preacher who said that I have read 35 commentaries on this. Can you imagine 35 commentaries? You can understand how difficult it is. You don't have to read all those. I'm simplifying your job very well. And even if you don't pay attention and give careful attention to that, may God have mercy on you. (laughs) Don't be dull in hearing. What is in the author's mind a truly saved person? Now, I'm telling you a very important grammar here. Grammar is so important if you want to understand. In order for you to understand how grammatical structure is so important, I would like to first show 1 John 2, 3 in order to prove what a truly saved person is. Okay? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know, and by this we know that we have come to know him. Now, we have come to know him doesn't speak about we will come to know him. It says we have come to know him. How do we know that we have come to know him? It happened already. We know God. In other words, it's telling by this we know we know God. How? If we keep his commandments. Observe this. If we keep his commandments. Keeping commandments is not a means to knowing God. You can never know God by your performance. But if you are saved by the grace of God and if you have come to know God, the evidence of it will be obedience to the commandments of God. That's what he's telling. Now, see Hebrews 3.14, observe similar words in order for you to understand what I would like to tell you. What is in the author's mind? Hebrews author's mind, a truly saved person. He says that in 3.14, similarly, for we have come to share in Christ. That means we have known Christ. How? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's the reason I'm telling you, the beginning is not the end. How a person dies, only then we can say that fully. Of course, I'm not telling you have to doubt every person. But that gives the full assurance when he dies, how he died firm till the end. I may preach like this. I may even write books. I may even counsel lots of people. But in the end, you may see Stephen David in a fallen state. And I may say that, I don't believe in the gospel anymore. It is the end. Persevere till the end. It says, that shows that we have truly come to know Christ. The people who believe in him for a while, the people who... Remain for some time. Maybe almost at the end of his life. And at the end of the lives they give away. According to this. They have never come to share in Christ. Perseverance in faith till the end. Going through the storms of life. And temptations. And not giving up. Persevering. 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 That is the greatest evidence. Of a truly saved person. Sam Storms. In order for me to support myself, what Sam Storms, a good theologian, says that, note well, he says we have become partakers of Christ, not will become or are now partakers. If we persevere in faith, in other words, holding fast in faith, persevering proves that you became a partaker of Christ in the past. Failing to hold fast till the end, apostatizing from the faith, proves you never were a partaker of Christ. 1 John 2:19 confirms what he says here. John also repeats the same thing. See what he says. He speaks about those people who went out. Maybe this same kind of people, Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. They went out from us, which means they were among them. Imagine they were apostles. One of the twelve apostles out. The twelve apostles were there. They had fellowship with them. They participated in the Lord's Supper maybe. They were eating, drinking, fellowshipping, hearing, seeing lively miracles. They went out from us. But they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain, plain evident That they all are not of us. Same thing in different words. he is telling. In other words, what he is saying is, if anyone, those people who went out from us, by going out, they proved that they were never of us. The people who have fallen away in Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, they've fallen away making it plain that they were never partaker in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers of the 3rd century, made a bold proclamation based on the word of God, people are not Christians unless they persevere to the end. People are not Christians unless they persevere to the end. And the final case that I want to present is this. These words, now why did author of Hebrews wrote this? This is my final case. These words were written to be conscientious of believers responsibility conscientious means not consciousness consciousness conscientious means making efforts laboring being diligent being watchful being zealous being focused and not to be negligent these words were written for that sake i'll tell you that there are two dangers that we see in the present christendom two terrible dangers on both the cycles uh, both the circles, whether they be a reformed circle or non-reformed circle, I see there are two dangerous elements. The first is that too conscious of one's responsibility and neglecting to trust in God's sovereignty. It's all about me taking care of my salvation and working out, being obedient. And if I'm not doing that, I may lose my salvation. He says that be careful of that. Too much conscious of your own responsibility, neglecting to trust in God's sovereignty. The other dangerous thing is that, too conscious of God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. He chose me before the foundation of the world. He redeemed me by the blood of Christ. He sealed me with the Holy Spirit. My salvation is eternally secure. Trusting in sovereignty of God, but neglecting one's responsibility to grow and mature. That's another dangerous sign that we should be very careful about. Now what is the balance? Before I bring to this what Hebrews says, I will give an example of balance here. God's sovereignty, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this. You see what Paul says, I'm sure, 100% I'm confident. What is that? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Which means he will complete the salvation that he began in you. I am fully sure what a great joy it is. Praise God, hallelujah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We can rest in the God's sovereign guidance that he will lead us safely till the end. But immediately in the second chapter, he reminds of the consciousness of the believers here. The chapter 2, where he speaks about human responsibility, 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. (laughs) Do you see here? Don't be casual. Don't be negligent. Don't be flippant. Don't be irresponsible. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be cool. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing what? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now you see the perfect balance? Trust in the sovereignty of God and be careful of your responsibility. Grow, mature. Now we come to God's sovereignty in Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 to 21. That's how it ends the letter. You know, God's sovereignty, what God can do to us. He says here that. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, praise the Lord for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now what will God do? Equip you, empower you. With everything good. That you may do his will. That you will not fall away from his will. That you may be obedient to do his will. That you would be devoted to do everything good. Working in us. That which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Who will do this? Who will do this? It is God. It is not about you. This passage is speaking about. God equips you. God is the one working in us. God is the one preserving us. Praise God. And then you see the human responsibility also in the same book. Knowing the sovereignty of God. For example Hebrews 2.1 Therefore we must pay much careful attention to what we have heard. Lest we drift away from it. Lest you drift away. Pay careful. If you don't pay careful attention you will drift away. You cannot say, I believe in the sovereignty of God and be negligent in your responsibility. That is not the biblical balanced truths. And yes, there is a tension. How is it that if God is sovereign, how is it that I can be responsible in my responsibility? That is a tension the Bible leaves us with. And we live with a tension. On one side, trusting in the sovereignty of God and uh, at the same time being cautious of our responsibility. And I'm very upset with some of the reform people who tries, to, who tries to decline or make it less tension. And I'm afraid of those people. Because Bible doesn't make it less the tension. And we should be careful all those who believe in the reform doctrine. Don't make this tension less stringent. Leave it like that. That's how God left it. And we have to persevere in that. Hebrews 3.12 Take care brothers lest there be any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Do you see that? He says God preserves but if you are not taking care you may fall away from the living God. Hebrews 4.11 Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Do you see again? Drift away, fall away from the living God, fall by the same sort of obedience. All speak about the same thing. And now we come to the conclusion. Let me read the caution again. Hebrews 6:4 to 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have stayed in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the ages to come, and then have fallen away. To restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. He speaks about responsibility. Be careful. Grow, grow, grow. And I want to conclude with what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said, God preserves his children from falling away. Yes, he does. I love what he says. But he keeps them. How does he preserve them? He keeps them by the use of means. And one of these means is the terrors of the law. Showing them what would happen if they were to fall away. (laughs) What a perfect balance is this. It's by the terrors of the law. What would happen if you fall away? God preserves. So the truly saved people when they hear it? No. I don't want to drift away. No, I don't want to be hardened. No, I don't want to fail to enter the rest. I want to persevere by the grace of God. But other people doesn't matter. Take it easy, cool, chill, and they are gone. You know, when I thought about this, how to really help you understand? I thought about an illustration. Think about you are on the 15th floor of a tall tower a building, 15th floor and the 10th floor is set on fire full of fire, there is no way for you to come down so the firefighters what they do is they tie the rope from the 15th floor to the other side of the building so that you can escape and you pray to the Lord Lord I pray that you take me safe to the other end. I don't want to die in this building. Have mercy on me. Preserve me. I trust in you that you will take me safely till the end. I have no doubt about your power, goodness and mercy. You fully trust in the sovereignty of God. And then you hold the rope. How will you hold the rope? And move towards the other end. It doesn't matter like a monkey that flies on the trees. It doesn't matter because I trust in the sovereignty of God and I can he easily fly to the other side is that how you oh, lord have mercy on me i don't know i mean lord you just hold him trust in him that is what fear and trembling <laughs> work out your salvation go to the other end don't be negligent don't be responsible don't be casual be sober And go to the other end. Trusting in the sovereignty of God. And you will reach safely till the end. Because God is faithful. And because God is faithful. We are responsible. In our thing. So I want to say this in the summary. Let us trust in God's preserving work. Let us always cling to the cross. He who did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Look to the cross, clung to the cross, never lose the sight of the cross. For it is Christ who died for us, said, my sheep will never perish. And we can safely relax and rest in his preserving hands. Second, be sober in your responsibility and move towards maturity. Don't let trials and temptations drift you away from your eternal calling persevere 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 in your faith till the end and that's the end of the sermon let's all stand and pray heavenly father we stand before you we come before you with boldness because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we know that you are the God who never fails, but preserves your children safely till the end. We thank you for your equipping, your sanctification, that you began a good work in us and will lead us safely till the end. And Lord, we also pray that you give us your grace to be sober. Not be sleepy, not be lazy, but be sober in our responsibility and grow towards maturity and not remain in the elementary teachings. Lord, give us your grace to be like that good soil that bears hundredfold of fruit and glorify your name. We thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning and we thank you for the perfect balance that we see. In the tension that we have left in your word. Thank you for your sovereignty. And thank you for giving us the responsibility. And we trust in you. And persevere in our faith till the end. Come o Lord Jesus soon. And take us to be with you forever and ever. And until then as we suffer here for a little while. Help us to be fighters. 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 Fight against every temptation of sin. Fight against every allurement of the world. Fight against every discouragement and afflictions. Fight, fight, fight. For we are fighters in the Lord. Conquerors more than conquerors in Christ. And nothing in this world will be able to separate us from the love of God. That Christ has chosen us, died for us, rose from the dead, sent his Holy Spirit in us, as a guarantee of our redemption and is coming again to take us to be with him forever and ever. And we thank you for this glorious hope. And help us never to lose our focus from this hope and persevere till the end. We praise you and worship you for who you are and for the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beloved name, Savior Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com i repeat www.m you may also email him at c at gmail.com i repeat c s d e p h e n d a at gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.